God, with us, that your presence is in this room. That is amazing as that first Christmas must have been in Bethlehem. Lord, that you are made manifest many-fold in this place. That's the reason you came, that you may pay the price for our rebellion to redeem us back to you. But it's also why you ascended. It is to our advantage that you went away. Because then we get to experience in these moments the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this place. So Lord, let your Holy Spirit continue to speak your word of truth over our hearts. Lord, what we do not know, teach us. What we cannot see, show us. And Lord, what we are not yet, make us for your glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Open up your Bibles as you do to Luke chapter 1. I know that's not our passage for today. We will get there. But in Luke chapter 1, um, I don't know if you heard uh, when, when they were um, doing the Advent reading, Debbie used a phrase um, that, that just sticks with me again and again. And it was this idea of promise and fulfillment being played out through all of redemptive history. That God's word, God's story is this idea of promise and fulfillment being played out through all of redemptive history. And I want to start us in Luke chapter 1 because like few places in this rather large book we call the Bible, there is a scene of promise and fulfillment that is like an exclamation point. And so I was reading it this week, and um, just for preparation for this message, and it is one of the daily readings for this coming week, and um, um, as we prepare for the, um, to celebrate Christmas on this week, entering into the final week of Advent, and, and it, just, I, it just put a whole new sense of, um, of the beauty of fulfilled promises. When I thought of it as, as how, why is Gabriel so excited to share with Mary, what is about to happen. And part of it, that's obviously because it's the birth of Christ, but he is, an, he is a being who was created at creation at some point. And he has watched this mess of humanity created by our rebellion in the garden. He's watched it play out through the eons. And he's like, finally, I finally get to come and help these people see how all of these promises connect together in Jesus Christ. And so he, he comes to Mary, and I'm in Luke chapter 1, and starting in verse 26, and he says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee, to, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And, and, and Gabriel's just on a roll. Like he's like, and he just keeps going. I mean, you can imagine she's already like, I'm going to have a what? And he's going, and he will be great, and you will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will be with him. It will give him the throne of his father David forever, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and the king and his kingdom, there will, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's like, and how can this be? Because I am a virgin. 
She's like, wait, wait, can we just back up about three steps, Gabriel? I see that you're excited here, but come on. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For Therefore, you're, this child that will be born to you will be holy, the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who, for her who was barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary says, I am the bond, Lord's bondservant. May it happen to me just as you've said. But guys, get, get this. That, that Gabriel is excited because there's all these fulfilled promises. Guys, so many. We, we, you have a sheet in, for about the umpteenth week during this Advent season that we're in. We have this sheet of, of just 40 of the fulfilled promises that, that are in Christ. And this is 40 of 300 plus promises in the Bible. And, and he is so excited to share all of that. But guys, we need to understand that sometimes God's fulfillment of his promises aren't a lot of fun for us. Guys, and that's where, that's where the message of Christmas, the gospel message of the baby born in a barn, gets right down to shoe leather for us. Because we have this idea that somehow Mary was excited. Mary was willing. And, and, that, and that is honestly what her great testimony. She was willing to say, let it be to me just as, I, just as you have said. But guys, let's be really clear. The fulfillment of God, all of these promises of God in the birth of Jesus Christ just rocked this teenager's world. He just put, God just put Mary in a really, really hard place. Like the trial of her life is at stake now. Literally. And she knows it. And that's what makes it even more beautiful. But guys, think about just the last 24 months for us. How many of us in the last 24 months, whether it was COVID-related or politically involved or your job and the economy, or you've, some of you have lost loved ones, some of us have put parents into the, into the grave. Guys, there's all kinds of things in the last 24 months that have made like our lives difficult. Right, that even as we see and trust in and, and cling to the promises of God, there are, there's a lot here in our lives that go, yeah, but God, this is not a lot of fun for me. I see how you're moving your story forward, God, but it doesn't seem as fun as I was hoping. Right? That's where the gospel has to interject into our very hearts. Guys, we have to filter what's going on in our lives through his story, through history. Like, we have to be able to go, okay, what is it that God is doing in this time to bring himself glory? And then, oh, by the way, how can I be used by him to show and reveal other people his glory? Because, guys, the storm is coming, right? Sometimes God orchestrates storms to show his glory all the more. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. But here's the thing, as followers of Christ... We don't have to fear the storms. We don't have to worry about the waves of this world. Why? Because our Savior walks on them. Amen. Like literally. And we're going to see that today. So today we're in this, um, we're in this series call, we're, that we're calling The Great I Am. right? And it's this idea of who did Jesus claim to be. And we've walked through the seven I Am's. And today we're going to talk about the fact that he is, like not only last week we talked about how he is the great I Am, from Abraham, like he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now today he's going to say, hey guys, guess what? The, as, as we go into Christmas, as we celebrate his birth, this Friday night right here, 4.30, come show up. It'll be a beautiful time. I'm telling you, like what we just experienced in the last hour will ju is just 
um, a taste of what you will experience on Friday night. It is a beautiful time together as the family of God. Bring people. I want to encourage you in that. But we're, we are entering into that week, Christmas week, and we're going to talk about how the great I am is here. And so with that, if you would, turn to our passage, Mark chapter 6, and we're going to see that in Mark chapter 6, Jesus orchestrates this idea of the great I am being here by, by showing that he is, the, he is the sovereign one over all things who reveals his glory to us in our storms to assure us that he's in control of everything. And that's what Mark chapter 6 is going to show us. So with that, I'm just going to jump right into our, po- our first point as we look at this great I am being here and, and the question we're looking at today because in the midst of all of this hardship and even the busyness of Christmas and everything that we've sort of made Christmas to be that, that, that just adds to the stress and not to, the, not to everything else is how can we really experience this hope, love, joy, and peace that those candles represent? Like really, how can we? Well, there's only one way and that's by keeping our eyes fixed on the sovereign one so that we will see his glory so that it assures our hearts that he's in control. He's got this. Even when you can't find the gift for your spouse you were hoping to find, God's got this. Right? There are bigger problems in the world, and there's greater beauty to be had than the gifts under your Christmas tree. So let's take a look at our first point, or the first part of the passage, the first two verses. He says this, Mark, Mark, I love the Gospel of Mark. I've taught through the Gospel of Mark because Mark does not, he just gets right to it right away, and he's like, here is the sovereign one. It says this, immediately... He uses that word a lot, Mark does. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Guys, now I'm going to lay this out as we go through this passage, but when he says immediately, here, here, he won right away, so immediately after something, and we're going to see what the something is here in just a minute, but immediately he makes his disciples get into a boat. In the Greek, that actually has, it's, it's, it's in the assertive voice, which means he forced them into the boat. They didn't want to go into the boat. Why didn't they want to go into the boat? It wasn't because they didn't want to leave Jesus. It's because they were fishermen, and they understood you don't get on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the day, in the evening. And the reason why is because the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's, it's surrounded by these, these big cliffs. And what I even remember from my time being a wildland firefighter when I was in college is they talked about like at night when you were fighting a fire at night, you had to be careful because Wind blows, rolls down the hills at night, and will, in, in a fire, will kick up the fire. But also, in, at the Sea of Galilee, it will create storms. So the fishermen wouldn't want to go out at night. And if they did go out at night, they would want to stay really close to shore. Now, he's telling them, go to Bethsaida. It's about three miles around the top part of the lake. And then he dismisses the crowd. And then it says, and after this, after he had taken leave of them... He goes up the mountain to pray. Well, we don't run out of time to talk about this, but right there, just look at how Jesus knew he needed to pray. He dismisses the crowds, sends his disciples away to go be alone with the Father. Guys, if he needed to, how much more do we? And that's all the commentary I'm going to have on that one. But guys, he is doing so much more here in this opening scene than, than just sending his disciples to another location. Look down at verse 52 real quick. For they, the disciples, because I I just skipped the whole action part of the scene, we'll get to in a minute. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Guys, here's, here's what's happening. What they did not understand 
wasn't the dynamics of their situation. It was they didn't understand who Jesus was. And he is going to unfold for them who he is. Now, the way he's going to do that, here's, here's what he's doing. He is telling his disciples, I am the better Moses. Here's how he's doing that. Because do you remember what happened? At John, he, gets, he gets baptized by, the, um, by John the Baptist in the Jordan, right? And he, and he gets baptized. He immediately does what? He immediately goes out into the wilderness for how long? Okay, now what is all that about? Here's what it's all about, and, how, and I'll tell you how it relates to our, to our story today. He gets baptized. It is a picture. Remember he says to John, because John's like, I can't baptize you. And he says, no, no, no. You have to baptize me to fulfill righteousness. You know what he's fulfilling? The story. He's saying, John, you need to baptize me because of who I am. I am the picture of the better Moses. Because Jesus' baptism is, our, well, is, is a fulfillment of the people of Israel walking, Moses leading them through the Red Sea. So Moses leads them through the Red Sea. And where do they go after they go through the Red Sea? They wander in the wilderness for... 40 years. So Jesus gets baptized and immediately goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. You know what he does right after he goes out of the wilderness for 40 days? He goes up the mountain. Who does that sound like? He goes up the mountain, but not to receive the word of God like Moses did. He goes up the mountain to preach the word of God. Because guess what happened right before this? He preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Then guess what he does after he preaches the Sermon on the Mount? Just like, what, remember what happened in, in Moses' story? So he goes up the mountain to receive the word of God. What does God do for the people during, the, during their time of wilderness wandering? He feeds them. What does Jesus do on the mount? Feeds 5,000. That's what they're not getting in verse 52. They're not understanding the loaves because their hearts are hardened. That is not saying that they, just, they didn't get that he, wow, this guy could really do a lot of really cool things with food. That's not the secret of the loaves. What they're saying is, what, what, what Mark is saying is, we didn't at that time understand that what Jesus was doing was he was clarifying, I am the I am. I am the better Moses. And I'm telling his story. So he goes up the hill, he feeds the people, he comes down the hill, and then just like Moses, and you're going to read this tomorrow, he reveals his glory by passing by his people. And I'll point that out to you as, as we go along. But just to help bring the point home, put a marker here. You, you should have a white card. We're going to get to these at the end, Lord willing. Put a marker and mark, marker and mark, and go to Isaiah chapter 9. I just, want to, I just want to show you some examples of who it is we are celebrating, guys. Because this is, this, Christmas is not about a baby born in a barn. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. It's a good season to remember that. But he was born in that barn for a purpose. And it was to fulfill all righteousness, like literally, by going to the cross. So look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is in the middle of your Bible to the right of Psalms and Proverbs. In Isaiah chapter 9, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will get you one because we will be in it a lot today. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a, in a, in a land of deep darkness, on them his light has shone. Now, now jump to verse 6. Here's how that light is being shown. For a child is born, a son is given. Now let me stop right there for a minute. Let's remember, guys. Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ came. Right? 
Isaiah is prophesying ahead in history, 700, that's a historically documented fact. You do not have to believe in the Bible to know that that's true. They have found, they have found scrolls from the prophet Isaiah that, that predate the time of Christ, that talk about this very scene happening before Christ came. This was not written into God's story after Jesus came to make sense of the story. He says, Isaiah, God is telling Isaiah, tell him, a son is given to you, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And then it says, and on in the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now let's take a look at what the zeal looks like. So, so we're done in Isaiah. Go all the way to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Again, what I'm trying to, sh- what I'm trying to prove to you right now is that this person that we're going to see in just a minute, if you did your reading today, you already know, walking on the water, is not just a man in tune with God so he somehow could command the forces of nature. He is God. He is God incarnate. And so Isaiah prophesied about him, and then after the ascension and resurrection, about 40 years after that, or longer than that, probably 50 years after that, John gets a revelation. Look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, it's probably in red letters. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, just in the interest of time, I'm going to skip a whole lot of really good stuff, and we're going to jump to Revelation 17. So he just said, I am the great I am, right there in Revelation 1. Now look at verse 17, verse, or chapter 17, verse 14. This is just a good little like, reminder for us, back to these storms of life. And They will make war on the Lamb. They is the world. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. That baby born in a barn will conquer them. Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are called are chosen and faithful. Now keep going to chapter 19, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. This is what it looks like when we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, as Karis reminded us of. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. This is his second advent, his second coming. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and his head like many diadems. And, and, on his, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth came a sharp sword, with which, with, with, with which he will strike down the nations, and he, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty." On his robe and on his thigh is written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guys, that is the baby born in Bethlehem. Now, I don't want to end there. One more, Revelation 21. Because after his second advent, he comes and not, so he came the first time to redeem all things. That's the cross. He will, he, he's going to come again to restore all things. And that's verse, chapter 21, verse, verse 1. 
Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That means all of this is gone. Everything we're striving over, everything we're fighting about is all gone, and the sea is no more. It's his way of saying, man, nothing is left that was here. And I saw the whole holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear of their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Maranatha, Lord. Verse 5. And he was seated on the throne and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said this and this is why I wanted to get to this point. So remember he started Revelation by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Look at how he ends the story. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. Guys, that is the sovereign one. That is the one who shows himself. Take a look at your first talking points question. If you would, they're on the back of your little sheet here. The first talking points question, I just want to quickly ask for some input. It says, how does knowing that Jesus was, is, and will be the great I am, that's what I am means, I was, is, and will be, I am all times, outside of time, always, how does that help you in this world today? So just real quickly, so what they just, I mean, we already saw evidences of it in our prayer time, but what are some ways that knowing that he is the sovereign one, not just connected to the sovereign one, but he is the sovereign one. How does that help you today? We trust him. We can trust him because he's in control. Good. What else? Amen. Through all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Because he has come and conquered, we are overwhelmingly conquerors. Good. One more. What he says will come. Remember what we're talking about today. For promise and fulfillment. That's ultimately, he's like, guys, I'm telling you, I'm showing you, the, the dudes in the boat, he's like, I'm showing you, I am the fulfillment of all of these promises. And by showing them, he's showing us. So the question we're looking at today is how can we really experience this, all that Advent has for us? Like, like really? This hope and love and joy and peace? Well, one, we have to believe in the sovereign one. And two, we need to get a glimpse of his glory. And look at what he does with them next. That's our next point, the next two verses. So I'm back in Mark. Look at verse 47. And it says, that When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Well, let me just real quick, and I'm, and I'm already so behind my time. But, but look at, when, he says, when it says was out on the sea, some translations better translate that. We're in the middle of the sea which is not where you wanted to be. If they'd have been forced to get in the boat, where they would have been is right next to the shore. But the wind has blown them out in the middle. So you can just imagine, like they're like, come on, come on, row, row, row. Like, like for, we're going to find out for a long time. They are, and it says, because the wind was against them. Well, who controls the wind, guys? Right now, now keep that in the back of your mind. This is not just a, some random act of events. This is being Every detail of this is being orchestrated by Jesus while he's on the mountain. Because it says he saw them there. 
He's still on the mountain. He said he saw them there, and they're making they were making headway because they, the the wind was against them. But guys, can't we relate to that? Doesn't it sometimes, especially in the last couple of years, doesn't it feel like sometimes the wind is against us? Like, and if we just want to be, let's just get be real. Like here at Crossroom, we want to be real. Well, that's part of why I love our. Like, doesn't it feel sometimes like God is against you? I mean, you might you know he's not if if you have, but don't doesn't it? I mean, just let's be honest. Because things aren't going your way, because you're struggling with something, because you've lost someone you love, because, guys, there's a lot in this world that makes us stop if we're just going to be real about it and go, really, God? Really? Now? Why now? Like, I, I still think about that with the death of Brent Mattingly. How long ago did he die? Five years ago? Four years ago? Okay, Abby just ran into Connie on the mountain yesterday, and I'm like, I'm like I mean, he was, I, I'm like, Really? This guy showed up just sort of like, I don't even know what I'm doing here for Jesus. And, and man, grew so much. And he was so ready to take, to just, I, I mean, I just saw him being used mightily. And then he dies suddenly of a heart attack. And I'm like, really? Come on, God. Like, like we, need to be okay. we need to be okay with the fact that Jesus is okay with us being that way. He's just not okay with us staying that way. Right, And so we need to be more real. But guys, why don't they trust him? They don't trust him. Like, why are they worried? Why are, why are they in this mess? Because they don't know him well enough. The, the thing is, the more we know Jesus, the less really God will get as we mature in Christ more and more. But guys, what we have to start to filter our storms through, like if they were really you know, they're paddling away, and they're like, oh, we're in big trouble, guys. I don't know what we're going to do. If they, were, if they were filtering it through his story, they're like, wait a minute. Chapter 4 of Mark, they were in the boat. Same dudes. They're in the boat with Jesus. He's sleeping. Hey, man, don't you even care that we're going to die? What's he do? Hush. Be still. Bam. Storm's over. Which sort of begs a couple of questions here. The first one is, do we see our storms as setups for him to show us his glory? In other words, what we see as, you hear it this way, what we see as obstacles, he sees as opportunity. Now, now guys, here's the thing. That'll get preached at church because it, it works. Oh, wow, what he sees as obstacles. Or what we see as obstacles, Jesus sees as opportunity. And that gets preached because we're like, that sounds really good. Like, that, means, that means God's got something really wonderful for me in this. Not necessarily. The truth about preaching, what, it is true that what we see as obstacles, he sees as opportunity. It's not opportunity to make our life better. It might be. But it's opportunity for him to show himself glory. Guys, we need the storms for to, to, for to really see his glory. Think about what was prayed here during this time. Think about what gets prayed here almost every Sunday during our prayer time. When do people see God show up the most? When did Kyle and Cambria see God show up? When they were tooling down the road listening to their tunes? No. When the storm hit. Then he gets the glory. But we need to see it that way. But guys... Here's the other, I said there were a couple things that we have to see about this. Jesus is not interested in calming their storm. How do we know that? Because he could have done it from the mountain with a word. Instead, he is interested in pursuing 
passionately pursuing the very men he is redeeming so that they will see his glory. Guys, the minute Jesus takes a walk on the water, we know he's about something different than just fixing their problem. The minute Jesus takes a walk on the water, we know he's about something different than just fixing their problem because he didn't have to walk out to them to do that. He could have done it while he was praying. He could have just been like, hey, Dad, can you fix that? Okay, let's keep talking. He chose not to, and he has a reason for that. Now, in the interest of time, we're going to skip the, table, the talking points question, and we're just going to jump right to our last point. And that is, guys, understand this. He always has been, well, before we jump to the last point, I, I do want to remind us of where we have been in this series, because it was very intentional that we use the I am's to go into Christmas. And we're actually going to finish up and go into New Year's with a couple more I am messages next Sunday and then on Sunday the 2nd when we have baptisms. By the way, if you've never been baptized, we already have a couple people that want to be baptized. We would love to have you get baptized in our horse trough. Let us know, like, today would be great. Don't wait until Christmas and then go, hey, by the way, can I get a hold of somebody to figure this out? So let us know if you would like to be baptized. That's an aside. But guys, as we've been looking at this I am, these I ams, the whole idea was, was to get to this place today was to get to this place where we realize that, that, that what he has been showing us, so there at the bottom, the little wheat stuff, that when he shows us that he is the bread of life, right? that is just the fulfillment of the bread of the manna that I referenced earlier that's talked about in Exodus. Right? And you can take, these verses will come up on the screen, you can just write them down, I'm not going to read them all. And then when he says, I am the light of the world, and we now know that we have his light in us, remember, that, that is a picture of, oh, by the way, in Genesis chapter 1, he is the light. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he is the light. The sun doesn't even get made until day 4 of Genesis. He's the light on day 1. He has always ever been the light of the world. So he's just saying, I, I am the real light. But more than that, remember, it was, it was this picture of what they were celebrating at Hanukkah, what they were celebrating with these giant festival of lights was the pillar of light that led them through the wilderness. And he's going, no, I'm the light as they stood in the dark. So we keep going and I am the gate. And it reminds us of the psalmist. It talks about how, how that open up the gates of righteousness. Well, that psalm was written 900 years before Jesus came. And yet it actually says, it says at the bottom, and the storm, that, that is where the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. Well, who uses that phrase in the New Testament? I mean, the phrase is about who? Jesus. How do we know it's about Jesus? Because I just said it, it's a cool name and it used to be the name of our church. Because Peter tells us. Peter tells us. He pulls that. He says, no, that cornerstone that was talked about in Psalms is Jesus who is the gate that that verse attaches it. That verse for you guys attaches it to. So we keep going. That he says that I am the, um, what was the next one? That I am the good shepherd. Well, what, is, what does God tell us in Ezekiel and Jeremiah? I will be their shepherd. So Jesus shows up. He's like, I'm the good shepherd. Not your rabbi. I'm your good shepherd. Right? And then it's, I am um, the way, the truth, and the life. No, I'm the resurrection and the life. Josh taught on that. And he's like, yeah, but, but guys, resurrection is not a New Testament only thing. In Daniel, written 600 years before Jesus, Daniel says that in the end, the dead will rise. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine brighter and brighter until the coming day. And then we go on to I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And we, talk, and, we, and we see all over Scripture, but one of the many places, and all, all throughout Isaiah, Jesus, ta- or Jesus is referred to as the way in the wilderness. And so he's like, I, I'm the way. Guys, I'm the way. Right? And so he's been constantly bringing us around. And then finally, the last one Jeff taught on is I am the, I am the true vine. Because you remember that in the Old Testament, Israel was talked about as the vine. So what's all the point of all that? Jesus has been telling guys, Jesus has been telling his disciples this whole time, I am all of those things that you think you know about. I am God. And yet in this moment, in the storm of their life that he has orchestrated, they are doubting it and they're doubting him. Look at it. Look at what it says. He says, so, so this last point is he's going to show up to assure them that he's in control, but they don't see it that way. Look at verse 49. When I saw, when they saw him, so he comes, oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me finish up in verse 48. This is kind of a big deal. So I'll pick up the point in verse, four, in, in the second half of verse 48 is where I want to start. It says, and at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, first of all, the fourth watch of the night was like 3 a.m. He put them in the boat at dinner time. So they have been fighting this storm for what should have been like a, a, maybe an hour-long, three-mile little jaunt up the coast has turned into at least six hours of complete fear and torment. And then it says, now look at this, he meant to pass by them. Again, guys, take, take this from, understand this. If all he was interested in doing was making their life easier, he could have done it from the mountaintop. At the very least, he could have run to them on, in the, on the lake. He walks out to them, and then he's not even walking to them. He's going to pass by them. And the word there that is used for pass by is parakomai, and it's the same word the Septuagint uses when it talks about God passing by Moses in Exodus. In Exodus 33, the passage you're going to read tomorrow, when Moses asks to see God's glory, and God's like, yeah, you can't see my full glory. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will paracomai by you. I will pass by you. I will show you a glimpse of my glory. Just, guys, get, get this. Understand this. I, I, know, I know it's been a busy season, but guys, you got to understand this. When Job's world was rocked, I mean literally rocked, family gone, bankrupt, all he had left was a wife he didn't probably want anymore because she was nagging him, and three friends that were just telling him he was a sinner. That's all this poor brother had left in his life. He starts to question God. He actually says, though he, he, he starts out strong. Though he slay me, I trust in him. But he gets to a place, he goes, but you, he's talking to God. Goes back to my thing about, really God? This is Job. He says, you have turned cruel to me. He's talk, Job talking about, understandable, isn't it? I mean, if we're sitting here going, Job, how can you say that about God? Get, just get real, like with yourself, not with me, but I mean, and with God. Because I'll tell you right now, you would do worse. I know you would. I know I would. What is God's answer to fix Job's problem? Does he tell him why? Does he tell him why his kids are all killed? Does he tell him why he goes bankrupt? Does he tell him why any of that happened? Does he tell you why your mom died tragically a year ago? No, does he, tell him, does he tell me why my dad suffered with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's until, the, until he died? Does he tell us why? No, no. You know what he does? He shows Job his glory for chapter after chapter 
after chapter. And he's like, so where were you, my friend, when I made all this? I got all this under control. Your job is not to question why. Your job is to trust. Way harder when we're in the storm. Guys, I get it. I'm a why or two. I am. Why, why, why? Like I can wake up in the middle of the night in a full-blown panic attack going, why, Lord, why, why, why? And the second half of my brain is going, the other half is going, be anxious for nothing but in everything. And in prayer and supplication, present your request to God. And the peace of God, today's candle, the peace of God will surpass all. And, I, and my brain is still going, but why, but why, but why, but why? I hate this. I hate that. I, like I just, I can't stand that the world is this way or that this happened or that this brother's hurting. or Like the only solution is the solution Jesus gives him right here. He intends to pass by them because he wants to reveal. He's like, I want to, I want to fix your long-term problem, not just this present storm. And that only solution is for me to reveal my glory to you. So look at what he says in verse 49. But when they saw him, they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost and they cried out. They, guys, fear was running rampant on that boat. But stop for a second and think about this, guys. What is going on in our nation right now? What is going on in the world right now? What is COVID and the political climate and the economic stuff, what is it creating in people on purpose? Fear. Now, guys, you say, wait a minute, I'm not afraid. I'm angry. You know why you're angry? Because you're afraid. I'm tell- if, 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 the, the people that are most angry about what's going on in our nation or in the world, they are the most afraid, and they are just displacing that in anger. I'm, I'm just telling that that is just the reality. It is. And, and we have got, we have got to, do, doesn't mean we shouldn't be frustrated, doesn't mean we shouldn't interact, doesn't mean we shouldn't vote, doesn't mean all this. I'm just telling you though, guys, that it does mean that we had better step back and go, no, wait a minute. Am I really trusting in a sovereign God? Am I doing my part, but am I really trusting in the sovereignty of God? Or am I like these dudes right here going, oh my goodness? Because here's the problem. Ima- imagine. If the people that the five thousand, well, they're probably the more like eight or ten thousand that were being fed. Imagine if they were standing there. These are these are Jesus's top twelve dudes. These these. If there's anybody who ought to know who Jesus is, it's these guys. Imagine if those eight or ten thousand people were watching them in this moment. What would their witness be about who Jesus is? That's exactly what's wrong with the church, guys. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Like seriously, that is exactly what is wrong with the church. When we get angry and bitter and spiteful because we're hiding and masking our fear because we don't actually trust in a sovereign God, guys, understand this. Our witness to the world stinks. It just does. And there's no way to, just picture this moment. If other people could have seen the disciples they would have been like, yeah, man, this, there's no way. If, if this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, a bunch of scared dudes in a raft, why in the world do I want to be in that package? If we're just as fearful and angry and as the world is, why would anybody, when we say, hey, come see, come see the beauty of Christ on Christmas Eve, why would that person be like, why would I want any part of that deal? Honestly, I don't... I'm angry enough. I don't, I, if, if you go there and, and this is what happens to you, like I, I struggle with anger enough. I don't need your anger, whatever you're learning there to, to add to it. Okay, so let's keep going. Look at what he says. Here's the whole point of the passage. We're finally there. Verse 50. 
For they saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now guys, there's so much more there that Jesus is doing in their lives than we see right here. And here's why. Because what he could have said is he could have said, do not fear or take heart. It is ego. E-G-O. It's the Greek word for I. It is I. He could have said, do not fear. It is I. He could also have said, do not fear. Ami. I am here. But what he said was, do not fear. Ego ami. Do not be afraid. What they heard is, do not fear. I am. I am. What the disciples heard is, I am the great I am. And that was the whole reason he orchestrated this whole event in their lives. Guys, we have to get to a place where when, when th- and, and things do, I get frustrated when I'm going through my, news, my feed on my Instagram or whatever it is, or, or, my, or my news feed. I, I get fearful. I get, oh no, what's, what, I, all, I get all the feels also. I, get, I understand it. But we also have to be able to say, guys, I have to trump my feelings with the faith in Christ and understand that I need not be afraid because the great I am has invaded my life. Right? If, if the moments that we're feeling afraid, the great I am is not invading our lives. We have forgotten him somewhere. And then it says this. He gets in the boat with them and the, and the wind ceased. Again, he didn't have to do all that to make it cease. He could have just said it, but he does. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Guys, Here's what we have to understand. Let's back up a step and we're going to invite the music team to come up and go into our time of response. Guys, understand this. Jesus put his men in this place on purpose. None of this was an accident. He orchestrated everything from them being in the boat to the storm coming to waiting the six hours to walking by them. To all of it was on purpose. Why? Because sometimes we need the storm to see his glory. Guys, that's the message of Christmas, honestly. It is about way more than a baby born in a barn, but it is about the fact that because God knows the storm rages. Guys, does God know this world is broken? Yeah. I mean, outside of the fact that we know God knows everything, the fact that Christ came proves God knows the world is broken. It just does. The only reason God would humble himself enough to come here as a man, to live a life in this filth and brokenness that we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve so he could go to a cross, so he could pay the price for our sin, the only reason any of that makes any sense at all is if God knows it's, the world is broken and he loves it enough to redeem it back to him. And he knows the only way to do that is if I invade their space and take care of business myself. And that's what Christmas is about. So guys, as we go into our time of response, I, I just want to invite you to, to think about a couple of things. And the uh, music team's going to do a song, and, but, here, but one is our last talking points question is this. 
What is it that keeps you from fully embracing the beauty of the gospel? What is it that keeps you from embracing the beauty of the gospel? That God came here to die your death that you might live his life. As the trays are getting passed around, just take a cup. I'll come back up and and lead us through it. But I also want to invite you to do something else during this time of response. While the music's playing and then before I come up and and we take communion together, I want to invite you to consider this. Because guys, Christmas, the message of Christmas is the message of redemption. Have you been redeemed? Has the blood of the lamb been applied to your life? And if it has been applied to your life, are you living in the victory that, that tells us, what, remember where we started, that our king has come and he has conquered? All right? Revelation 4, 17, 14. But here's the, here, so, so I, I'm gonna, this is going to be up on the screen. You have a little white card. You can write stuff down on it if you want and stick it up here on the cross during the response time. If it's a prayer, you can hang it on our prayer wall. If you want to just hang on to it, you can do that. I'll come back up in a minute and share communion. But guys, I want you to to do some business with Jesus right now. Everyone. I kind of want to clear our palate before we taste the goodness of the grace of God this week for Christmas. Like when we get here on Friday night, I want us to all be able to say, man, we did business with God and we left our junk on the cross so that the grace of God tastes all that more sweet. So on your handout, there's a time of response. And I wrote this, do you feel stuck spiritually? Are you needing to break free and break through to the next level on your journey with Jesus? Here are some things that might be holding you back. Do any of them describe where you are? Maybe there are others that are not listed, but write down whatever it is, and then I just have a list of some of the things. There should be a slide. Um, Sorry, my fault. You have it here listed on your paper. Fear, fatigue, unrepentant sin, bitterness, busyness, distractions, disconnectedness, wrong priorities, unforgiveness, lack of understanding of the Word of God, lack of relationship with others, fill in the blank. Guys, like just take some time. I'm going to pray us into this time of response, but take some time to do business with Jesus. What are the things that are keeping you? Let's just just make it really simple. What's keeping you from really celebrating Christmas? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. I thank you that um, the great I am is here. I thank you that in a world that is broken, that in a world where we do have waves and storms, that you are the God that stills them. You're the God that's in our boat with us in them. You're the God that walks on the water above them. You're even the God that sometimes calls us out to walk on the water with you, through them. But all of that is so that you might reveal your glory. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the glory of God coming down and filling up a barn that you might grow up a man, that you might 
take the place for all men on the cross. That's a glory story. That is the fulfillment of amazing, amazing promises. Lord, let us be a people that embrace those promises. Let us be a people of great faith that even in the midst of the storm, we would hear you cry out, the great I am is here. Stop being afraid. I have invaded your life. Now bring me glory. In Jesus' name, amen.